Hey guys, quick note uh, for our interview with Lilith Star. There was a bit of uh, noise in the background there. They're <laughs> unfortunately invaded by ants. So uh, sorry I couldn't get those out. But uh, nonetheless, the interview comes in nice and clear. So just give you a heads up. Thank you. Hey, my name is Hertzie Hertz. I'm with Minnesota Atheists and Atheist Talk. And I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an Coming at you from your speakers, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I woke up and said, Hey Siri, and she replied with an ass for mouthwash. <laughs> Joining me is the woman who brought chips to a salsa class and realized a mistake. Hi, Nancy. Chips to a salsa class? Oh, oh I got it. <laughs> it, took me, it, took me, it took me a minute to dance around the room to figure that one out. <laughs> How are you doing, my dear? I'm doing pretty good. Having a great cup of coffee, thanks to our our lovely host. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Host was the most. Yeah, host was uh, the most. Just you and I today. Uh, the it girls is. are out on a schnauzer experience. I, I know, and loving every minute of I'm it. I'm sure they are. We miss them already, but yeah. anyway, the show must go on. So today we'll be talking to Satanist Lilith, Lilith Star. I sometimes have a hard time saying that. That Lilith, ought to be Lilith. fun. Yes. That ought to be really I'll fun. Talk to her about her new book. Yep. Uh, but first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Oh, you know what? Even before that, I want to do some... Uh, where is it? Mail time. Mail time. You can say some mail, but actually it's from our, uh, our, our patron, Freethinker215. And you're, you're going to love this. Now, this this is what happened. Um, our patron, Freethinker215, swell guy, right? Uh-huh. Superb guy. And oh, yeah. uh, he, he supports a lot of uh, podcasts out there, including ours. Now, the thing is, uh, I'm a bit of a doofus. And he, he, he was a patron of ours, and he, sa- he sent me a, a message a couple of weeks ago saying, Hey, um, you know what? I'm a patron, but I've never actually been charged by Patreon. I said, well, that's just odd. Uh-huh. So I just wondered why. Well, it turns out that Patreon will not charge the patrons if you don't actually post something. They won't just take money for the sake of taking money. You actually have to post something. Oh. So last week, that's what I did. I did the first uh, patron-only thing where I basically... Up- uplo- like a bonus. Yes. Yeah, a, I uploaded a, the a raw, raw, raw audio only for the last for the show last week, and I'm I'm gonna start doing that, I guess, for our patrons. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, he felt he had been somewhat kind of like, I guess, cheated is probably not the right word. But you know, he, he felt bad that he didn't manage to give us the money, and I said, well, you know, I said, don't worry about it, man. What a sweet guy. He, he's super sweet. So what he did, he he made a contribution to the NAF, the NAF, which is the National Abortion Federation of Canada. I think in I'm in love name. with this guy already. Yeah, so you made a contribution for, for uh, in the name of Left of the Valley for the uh-huh. NAF. Wow. Um, which, uh, well, let me pull that up here. The NAF. I was not even aware of this, uh, this, this, um, this group. Hmm. So NAF Canada is, is essentially, you know, it's a professional association of abortion providers in North America. Uh, our work supports the dedicated health care professionals who make reproductive choice a reality, as well as women they serve. They work to ensure that abortion is safe, legal, and accessible. 
Wow. And he made a contribution in the name of Left Out of Valley to them. Wow. Yeah, so, you know... Freethinker215, man, you know, you're top-notch as far as I'm concerned, you know. Yeah. Kudos to you, man. Yeah, I mean, to be involved in, in so many different podcasts and, <clears throat> and communities mm-hmm. to help make the world a better place, what an outstanding guy. So what I'm thinking I'm going to do after this as well is we're going to try to get in contact with people from NAF and try to have one of them on the show. Oh, I, I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting because I, I had no idea about this association uh-huh. and I'm discovering about it. It's like, you know, these people are doing important work. Yeah. And you know we've the the whole abortion thing has been in the news a lot lately, so thank you to Freethinker Two One Five for giving me that idea and making that contribution. You know this guy's making the world a better place. Yeah, a better time. Yeah, he's he's looking around to find specifically find places that need support and need some money to yeah. continue to do what they uh, what they do best, and that's fabulous. I yep. mean, it, it's a win win all the way around. He's the man for sure. He is big hugs and props for sure, for yeah. sure. Okay, in the meantime, um, if you're a Canadian, uh, this week you probably took. Well, saw anyway, the Toronto Raptors parade. Now, the Toronto Raptors is the Canadian uh, basketball team from Toronto, who actually won the championship for the first time in, I believe, twenty-six years. Yes, it was the last three, two, three game, two games for sure. Yeah, I mean, you you taught great people like Michael Jordan and you know Charles Barkley how to dunk and all that. So Nancy knows her basketball, obviously. Uh, it was a huge parade. Uh, there was an estimated 2 million fans. Uh, this is an estimation, uh, actually, in the lower end. There's 5.9 million people in Toronto. Oh, they were ecstatic. So imagine imagine whatever city you're in and having a third of the people come to a parade. I know. It's huge. Um, this is, yeah, anyway, yeah, between 34% of the population of Toronto probably went to the parade. It's hard to count, but these are uh, estimates, obviously. Um, Nathan Phillips Square, which is in downtown Toronto, can only hold 65,000 people. So you can just imagine the sea of people there. Unfortunately, during the parade, uh, there was a, a couple of gunmen that showed up and shot four people. Now, at this point, um, four people were shot. Uh, six people were arrested and charged. Um, we're not exactly sure of the details of this. Do you think it's just a couple of rival gangs that just took opportunity of the cover of the parade to settle some scores? It, it, what a jaw drop. I mean, this is Canada. Yes. But uh, over, I'm, I'm glad because overall... This could have been much, much worse. It was resolved quickly. Law enforcement moved in really quickly, and they arrested these guys, and then the party kept going. Overall, it really didn't disturb the event. I mean, yeah, of course, it's it, there was a few moments of panic, and some people were fleeing, but in the overall scheme of the entire day, it was actually almost a minor thing. Yeah. So that, that was pretty interesting to watch that, and to watch the law enforcement really react with cool headness and just yeah. boom. Oh, all of our all of our best to the Toronto Police Department for being well prepared exactly. and being able to function in that sea of humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean that itself. Like I said, you know, yeah. two million people. Yeah, uh, you get four people shot in a two million people. You know, you just if you just look at the number, yeah, it's a grain of sand. Really, it really is. Yeah, could have been much much worse. Okay, um, did you know that in 2018, Canada? resettled more refugees than any other country. I read that. Yes. Now, now, now we've got to make a distinction here. 
there was 92,400 refugees. Now, we're not talking about immigrants. We're not talking about people that are trying to escape. We're talking about actual refugees that made the claim they want to be a refugee. And Canada took in 28,100 of these people. And this is uh, spread amongst 25 countries in the world. Wow. Do you, do you remember when was it um, two, three years ago when um, Trump threatened the Haitians mm-hmm. with deportation and they headed yes. for the border? Yes. And instead of saying, no, you can't come in, they put the Canadians put extra people on the border. Yes. They put extra uh, places where they could get food, where they could get where they their could be paper. processed yeah, they quicker. Processed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. came in the second place with 22,900. So the U.S. did a very valued effort as well uh, so that's pretty good but they're um, all sitting in detention camps <laughs> yeah oh. now there is 1.4 million refugees that were in need but actually 90 uh, of the the numbers we're looking for here is the 92,400 that were resettled mm-hmm. so there's, there's a, a much bigger number of people in need but the ones that were taken care of and and resettled canada was the number one country mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. um, even in i mean in, in abbotsford our little town here we've seen the results of that because we um i say we our community accepted uh, quite a number of syrian refugees yes, and, yes. who are very visible in the community and have been accepted um beautifully and th- this is yeah. one of the things that angers me about the conservative message about all these immigrants and these refugees coming in and they're just they're just loafers and no no I, at the time i was working in sales for a hydraulic company mm-hmm. and uh, a Syrian refugee uh, had been uh, hired as an employee and he was so grateful and he was such a gracious man you know he, he was in Canada he was rebuilding his life for his family he had a good job mm-hmm. and you know what he was employee of the year because that guy was going beyond the call of duty and yeah. the, the, the company I was working for you know made a point of saying you know and they actually gave him a trip I believe a small trip wow. uh, worth a couple thousand dollars but that's pretty typical of the refugees that come over because um, you know even when when our grandparents began the great migration the minute they hit the shores it was we're here to build a better life yes. and and gratefulness was the number one emotion yes and it, i think it stays that way these refugees you know they're not they're not seeking you know a, a, an easy meal no they're, they're just they're fleeing something like war and with their family so you got a country like canada that accepts them mm-hmm. you know what yeah they're going to play by the rules yes they will pay the taxes and you charge them whatever you know what i don't care if i was a refugee let's Let's say a universe X mm-hmm. here. Kevin's a refugee from Canada going to another country, and you're charging me $100,000. If it means saving my life and the life of my family, I'll be glad to pay that. You know? It, 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 the, the, the conservative attack that these people are just moochers and coming to take your job, they, it has to stop. It is not reality. No, it's a political... I mean, we, we could cover the U.S., immigration but we won't but the the humanity is still here in Canada it will be restored but I I think the typical refugee is someone who works hard and if if the political point of view is different it's being used for an agenda that we don't even want to get into exactly and not here in Canada mostly (laughs) by the way Canada is the ninth largest recipient of new asylum seeker seekers worldwide the, the ninth ninth wow so that's not too bad i'll have to look up and see who's uh, number that's a good top 10 probably well yeah, you know it would at, probably be number one 
Yeah. Uh, the United States would probably be number one, I would think. We'll see, but that's but, an know, interesting. It's yeah. an interesting uh, step. Yeah. Um, of course, this week we also saw the uh, tension rise between Iran and the, the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Iran shot down a U.S. RQ-4A Global Hawk drone, which uh, this Someplace is a, in it's the, a big drone that be, costs about... To about, be disputed, still being that's disputed. That's right. It costs $100 million. Iran said it was violated their airspace. The U.S. said it was international waters. Um, what kind of scares me about this is, you know... <sighs> This is Donald Trump we're talking about, of course. You know, he comes in in a tweet and he says, quote, we were cocked and loaded to retaliate. And then he says that he stopped the attack 10 minutes before the strike due to when he asked a general how many casualties would the strike cost. And he said about 150 people. And Donald Trump said, well, you know, this is way bit more of a price than just taking down a drone. Now, I don't know how I feel about this uh, because... <laughs> At some point, I agree with him. Killing 150 people in retaliation to a, a, a drone, you're right. He's he's correct. But this is Donald Trump we're talking about. Did, did you know, and now the, the reports I saw this morning, I didn't have time to look into them. The reports saying this morning, all this was a lie. There was not even a discussion yeah. of strike and retaliation. So I don't know what to think here. Well, We have this buffoon here that could be just making up a war in his mind. I've, I've heard a number of different things. The, the story that's coming out in the news that seems most credible, but 48 hours from now it's going to change, is that, he, that Trump was fully informed mm -hmm. about the, um, the casualty numbers. And for one reason or another, maybe he didn't understand it or whatever. And then at the last minute, he asked the question again, how many people? And then that part of it is an absolute lie. Yeah. And one reason that you know it's a lie is because he used the word it wasn't proportionate. And there's no way he would have used the word proportionate <laughs> unless it had been given to him earlier. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know. But the other factor that has to come into this is that he's in campaign mode. Anything yes. that makes him look like a hero, whether it has to do with, you know, throwing uh, uh, the, the South American people out of the country and with the ice raids or presenting himself as the guy who stopped the war in Iran, he's going to do it. So I think whatever happened, happened. And then what he did is take it over in campaign mode and put himself in, I'm the hero. And to use the word proportionate, that's got too many syllables for him. <laughs> it's got, it, it has to come from... And then the other story was that he changed it at the last minute because Fox News, um, one of the the Fox News uh, uh, anchors, I, I forget what his name is, said, no, you can't, Trump can't do this because if he goes to war with Iran, it's, it, there goes his election. Yeah. So he, he uh. watches, he, he gets a briefing and then watches Fox News and then makes up his mind, uh, you know, according to what, what the anchors at Fox tell him. How scary, so, how scary the thought that uh, you have a president with the nuclear codes, yeah. just about on the precipice of going to war yeah. with a big country like Iran, just as a campaign bluff or as a, a you know as a psych or you can't even trust what the man says no. at all. No. There's like three different versions of this, and all three of them are plausible, and all three of them are 
possible probable lies too. It'll all like, come out, but you're it's, right. It's be, incredible. We, we have no idea. What's, all we can hope for is somebody is holding him back. Could you, could you imagine our prime minister saying, oh yes, we're going to go to war against, I don't know, let's say Norway. Over that moose thing, remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, the, the, these allegations come out that no, no, it, it, it never actually happened. It, it'd be a huge scandal. Well, this is the way his but, whole presidency has gone. But it's, it's like, it's, it's outrageous, and everybody goes, it's outrageous, but then nothing happens to, you know, to, to do anything. Yeah, they all say it's outrageous, but no action is ever exactly. undertaken to correct it. It's, yeah. I don't know what's going on in the states. I really don't know what's going on in the states. I, I, God, like I said, you know, for the for the life of me, if somebody came in to me tomorrow and say, "Kevin, I'm giving you a job in in the states, half a million dollars a year for you to move to the states," I would say no. I, I this is. I gone. take it though. I go. That's okay. I'm, <laughs> you, half a million. You, you've got. You got. I, I figure but. there's got to be some influence money there. That, oh. You know. It's, it's that that country has gone to the dogs. It's like my God, what's happening there? We we it's, just have to put. In my humble opinion, we've got to put our faith with the Dems, even though they, you know, they can they can snatch defeat from the jaws yes. of victory really quick. But that's that's where our, the, the Democrats and investigative journalists, mm-hmm. yes, yes, and women. <laughs> All right, moving on. Last okay. but certainly not least, this week we saw the Quebec Bill Twenty One go through. Now, this uh, this bill uh, from the province of Quebec bans religious symbols for teachers, cops, and public servants. This was enacted by the Premier François Legault. Uh, the vote it came to 73 to 35. Um, this has been a controversial bill. They've tried to pass something like that before. We've talked about this before. At the time, I believe it was Pauline Marois was the Premier. Uh, um, uh, I agree with the bill... Personally, this is my opinion. It's only my opinion. I agree with the bill in many ways. Uh, at the time, I didn't agree with some of it because what they said the there was a huge cross in the uh, the legislative assembly in Quebec, and they didn't want to take it down because they were saying it was historical. Well, this one they did take it down, even though the the premier says, yeah, it's actually more historical than religious. But they took down the religious symbol. Uh, they also said that they would grandfather in the uh, the existing religious symbols for people that also that already wear them that work for the government. Um, but it would also for, um, it would also forbid anyone giving or receiving. Uh, state services to have uh, to have a covered face or these kind of religious symbol. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism about that bill. Um, I'm I'm almost siding with the conservatives on the side, which is one of the rare things yeah. I, I side with. And here's the reason: I I, I was reading, for example, uh, Hemant Metten. Uh, he was talking about the, the the friendly atheist. He was talking about you know how he thinks the bill goes too far. And there's going to be a, uh, a not just a language police in Quebec, but also a religious police. Uh, okay, I, I gotta I gotta say this. Okay, as a Canadian and as a Quebecer, you cannot look at this bill through the same eyes that you do, especially if you're an American, about how things go in America, right? Um, Americans always have this this notion that, you know, um, government's out to get you, right? At that, and Canadians don't look at government the same way. We look at the government as we participate in the government. Therefore, it's the will of the people. Um, when Hammond Mehta said something about, you know, having a, a, a police force, um, 
they were t- they were talking about the same kind of things happening in France when France decided to ban the uh, the the, the burqa and all all that stuff. It's not like they're going to designate an extra police force to go like they do in Saudi Arabia and give out like the morality police. That's not going to happen. Okay, it's not that kind of the type of country. It's just a, pe- people are normal, right? I mean. It's just, for example, you know, you, you're going to get your assistant check or something like that, and you're you're the clerk giving out these checks. No, you can't wear your face veil there because you're giving out you're you're representing the government. I I don't I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I think that the criticism of that law are way 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 overblown, uh, and I think I think part of that is because you know there's a difference in culture here between the Canadian culture, the American culture, and the French Canadian culture. Because let's, it's not gonna, there's not going to be armed police knocking on your door and you got a, a, a little a, um, Star of David on, your, on a necklace and they're going to pull the gun on you. That's not going to happen. What's most likely going to happen is, if you, you, let's say you, Nancy, you're Jewish, and let's say, for example, you're on welfare and, and you, you're going to walk into the office and you get your little Star of David, you know, and, and people's probably going to say, you know, could you just tuck that into your shirt, please? You know, that's all that's going to happen here. I, I think I think the criticism of this is like way overblown because it's mostly led by the U.S. And in the U.S., they have this thing about government interfering in people's life like the government because their, their entire history is based on that. Their entire history is based on rebelling against the government, right? This is exactly how the United States started. That is not how Canadians view the government. So I, I'm, I'm, I would be really, really interested in having, a, maybe not a debate, but at least a very good discussion with some of our American friends that are, are on the opposite side of well, the Well, I, I think it's a, it's a great open question at this point. It because is. I, I, at this point, I tend to go with the idea that um, if, if I'm Jewish or Catholic or whatever it is that I am, and we're in a secular country Mm -hmm. where we know that the government is secular and and we're also diverse that if I wear my Star of David outside or you know I'm veils um, that's a whole other category for me but to me it's we ought to be able to recognize that we are diverse but when we're sitting in the seat that says I'm employed by the government that that star of David is not going to affect my relationship with you or what you ask me to do on behalf of of the government and it shows that I'm I'm proud of who I am and we need to respect each other. So I'm okay with religious symbols as long as the person wearing that religious symbol doesn't treat me as an inferior and treats me with respect. So that's pretty, that's where I stand now. And and the law makes that provision too, right? It says, you know, you're working for the government, you're wearing your your business attire or something like that. You go home at night and you want to get, you get into your house and you want to put on the full burqa, by all means, go for it. absolutely. By all means. It doesn't say you can't, right. right? And I think this is kind of missed in translation here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, uh, like I said, the criticism, especially coming from our friends down south to, uh, of the border, uh, I think is overblown. Uh, it's hyperbolic a bit. You also have to come to the point that, you know, we're not going to open that can of worms. So let's leave that for another show. But, you know, at what point... I understand that, you know, uh, we love freedom and we love liberty and, you know, everybody loves that. But to to, to think that we're going to turn our country completely secular just by promoting more liberty is not going to happen. 
<laughs> at some point, I mean, especially when you, it's, it's, it's ironic to think that, to think that government shouldn't interfere at all, especially in the States when you, th- you consider their constitution is secular. It's secular by law. So to think that the government should never, ever make any law that states secular, that promotes secularism in the country is, you know, you, it's a dream team. It's a dream. You know, if you really think that just by saying, oh, uh, let's be secular, let's be friendly, let's be, let's, let's be free, let's not make any laws to impede any way, shape, or form freedom in any way, shape, or form, and that's going to turn the country secular, it's not going to happen. So all these years we have these atheists that are fighting to have the country, the secular laws respected, but at the same time when you have a, a, a government actually makes a law that enshrines Secularism, because Quebec is actually by doing that is actually becomes the first "quote unquote" state slash province to actually do so. All of a sudden, it's criticized. Say, this is exactly what we want. It's not secularism at the at the at the end of a gun here. This is basically the government of Quebec saying, "Look, we're a secular state. You have to respect that." You know, it's it's the same kind of argument that you hear from people that say, "Well, this guy is Muslim, but he does, he's he's a cashier." But he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to touch your pork because he's Muslim. And people would say, "Well, this don't work there." I mean, that's the same thing. If your religious symbol is so precious to you that you cannot bear the mo- the thought of having it off your body for the for the workday, then don't work in a government position. It's that simple. They're there's, not putting a gun to your head here, uh, you know. That's. I mean, as I said, that's. The, there's. There's so. There's a, a. There's a rich area for discussion. Absolutely, that's there. and we should have and that discussion. We should have the discussion. We should have the discussion. Absolutely. And I'm gonna get our friends from the other podcast. We'll, we'll have that discussion. But I, yeah. anyway, I, I really think it's there's. A, it's a start. It's a start, it's and a start. I really think there's there's something like I said between the cultures of our American yeah. friends and us and the French Canadians, which of yeah. course I'm. Like very well versed in, obviously, uh, I th- I think I think there's room to maneuver there, but yeah. it's nowhere near what the criticism I've been reading from the friendly atheists and all that. No, no, yeah. there's not going to be a, a police that's going to knock on your door and says, "Hey, do you have a crucifix on you? Well, we're taking away your welfare check or whatever." And that's not that's yeah. not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But when laws are written at first, they're also written kind of broad. Right, because they have to encompass a lot of things, and over time they have amendments that are they're, they're specified, you know, and and they're they're, they're trimmed, you know. That, yeah. That's what happens. So anyway, I contrary to many people, and they're probably going to criticize me about this. I applaud this. I think this is a good first step. Mm-hmm. And Quebec is following pretty much the example that France did, right? Remember of France a couple of years ago when they, yeah. they they took this woman, they arrested her on the beach, and she was wearing a full like mm-hmm. burkini thing or whatever that she was wearing. They weren't arresting her because you know, oh my God, you know, we're we're trying to repress you. It's like they were trying to. The, the mentality of the French was, this is France, chill, you know. And Quebec is is going the same way, you know. This is just just relax, okay. You don't need to you don't need to worry about all this shit. So anyway, I'm going to leave it at that for now. <laughs> that's all right. I mean, things like that always bring out controversy yes. and always bring out people who are going to go to the extreme. You know, that's it. The world is the world is now coming to an end. You know, this is the worst thing that happened. And then people <laughs> say, no, this is a great first step. It's an opening up yes. of better things to come. So everybody, that's what a democracy is. Yes. You know, and there, and. Both sides are trying to find a balance where secular and the secular part and the diversity part can come together and live harmoniously, you know, in an ideal world, which isn't going to happen. But how close can we get to 
you know, um, being able to give everybody equal mm-hmm. standing, mm-hmm. you know, in in a, in the democracy. I, so good thing. And you mark my words, okay? Right now, I'm marking them. Marking them. Okay. Marking. Mark my words. This law, as controversial as it is, is a good thing. It's going to become a good thing. The history is going to look at it as it was a good thing. Oh yeah, it's going to take. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a law that designed for tyrants or anything like that. This is actually for once. I'm actually saying. <laughs> I can't imagine I'm saying yeah. that. I'm actually siding with the conservatives on this side. They're actually correct about this. Yeah. You know, if you want your country to be secular, not to be overrun by a religious zealot, it's not going to happen by just being free, 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 freedom, freedom, freedom. It's not going to happen like that. You have to make a stand at some point and say, no, we are secular by law, and this means the law. Anyway, moving on. Good topic, though. Good, for yeah. sure. We'll have to talk about and it And any more. of our listeners that would like to weigh in and send us uh, a text yeah, or an email, email or let Let's us know valley what at do, do You it. think I'm full of crap? By all means, please. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Send it to me. Explain your point, and we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll bring it on the show Absolutely. if we have to. All right, my dear. You have a top ten for us? I do, and it's a weird one. Ooh. Sometimes they're just whimsical, and sometimes they're they're weird. So today, you and I are entering the world oh, of weird. the weird. Okay. Okay, and this is 10 Epidemics of Mass Hysteria. Ooh. I know. Isn't that a weird one? Wow. So we're going to go from the number, number 10 all the way to the number 1. So... Just kind of explaining a little bit, mass hysteria is a psychological phenomenon which has been documented since about the Middle Ages. And um, the fear of the unknown, political turmoil, a lot of things need for social acceptance, a lot of things contribute toward mass hysteria. But this isn't like one or two people like your neighbors. This is like a majority of people in this particular area uh, become affected by whatever this epidemic happens to be. So number 10 is the Dancing Plague of 1518. The Dancing Plague. The Dancing Plague. So this is kind of like, you know, you talk about dance till you drop. Well, I thought that was disco. Yeah, I think this is, <laughs> this, this may be the roots of disco right here. So a case of dancing plague bro- broke out in Strasbourg, talking about France, in the French Alsace uh, region. It started with one lone dancer, and then over 400 people eventually took to the streets, dancing nonstop for days on end. The first flash mob. It was, it was. (laughs) And and people were collapsing from exhaustion, and some actually died of heart attacks or stroke. I know, it lasted for over a month. Holy. So you talk about a disco, I mean, that... You know, talk about disco fever, eh? Talk about disco fever with a with a little crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And now, interestingly enough, do you think that most of those affected were male or female? God. No, go. Don't be politically correct. Just tell me your. Tell me. What, uh, well, what my, my thought was going to be half and half. It's France. So as Actually, soon as the women are dancing, the guys will jump in. I think. Yeah, they're mostly female. Oh, really? So that brings like you know a whole other um, dimension to it, one way or the other. Of course, the word hysteria, you realize, comes from the the, the womb. Yes, yes. So, who knows? But anyway, fifteen eighteen. The dancing play. Wow. So that. Before shop to your job, was, you got dance to your job. Yeah, it was almost like people were on LSD or something. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, so, which is kind of wild. Okay, number nine 
is, I'm going to butcher the name of this one, the Tanganyika Laughing Epidemic. Oh, God. So now this is in 1962, going from 1518 to 19, this is a leap. Anyway, three students at a boarding school in Tanganyika, it's modern-day Tanzania, they began laughing uncontrollably, and they it gets so contagious that 95 students suddenly joined in. You know how it is when you somebody tells you, <laughs> yes. hey, you can't, you can't stop. Somebody laugh, you can't, you can't help each other start laughing no, with them. No, yeah. no. So uh, these bouts of uncontrolled hysteria lasted from a few hours to more than two weeks. It just was... What? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and the people who were affected experienced laughing, crying, pain, fainting. Teachers were unable to conduct lessons. This is 1962. Wow. And the school had to shut down for two months while it was brought under control. Shut down due to laughter. Just laughing. And, like... and reportedly, it spread to surrounding villages and to some surrounding schools. And there were over a thousand people who were affected from this one little school where a couple of kids started, you know, to My laugh. God. They started to look to see if there were any toxins or, or contaminated food, but they couldn't. They couldn't figure out. There was no medical cause that they could find. They say 15 seconds of hard laughter yeah. is almost the equivalent of an orgasm. So, so you know, when you laugh like really, really hard yeah. for a long time, it is exhausting. It really is. It's you come out of there, it's like you almost have to take a break. Yeah, but they, they finally pinned it down to uh, the stress of this boarding school. But the other people who were involved, they didn't have that same stress. But it was like yawning when, oh. you know, it just spread. Wow. So can you picture yourself? Laughing you know, for laughing two weeks? Well, yeah. I could picture myself laughing for a long time, but two yeah, weeks, maybe two not. two weeks, yeah. Number eight, <clears throat> excuse me, number eight has a funny name of the Mad Gasser. Outbreak. So, I like it already. Yeah. So this is like during World War II, and there was resi- there's this little town in Illinois called Mattoon, Illinois. I've been there. Okay. Of Be- course you have. Yeah, of course I have. Anyway, they became convinced that they were under attack from a phantom anesthet- anesthesiologist who was attempting to gas them as they slept. Right away, you know, this is, I know, this is... How, how, do, you, how do you jump to that conclusion? Uh, it only takes a couple of crazies and then yes. it goes from there. Victims, these victims complained that there was a strange odor in their homes and just before they were struck with symptoms and the symptoms ranged from paralysis to coughing, nausea, and vomiting. Wow. So the first first report came at the end of August 1944 when somebody, uh, one of the residents of Mattoon, awoke to a strange smell and suffered a fit of nausea and vomiting. His wife was then paralyzed and unable to leave her bed. Then police received over 20 reports of gassing over the following two weeks. And then they had a panic in Mattoon, and then people thought there were nightly gassings, but they could never find anybody that did it. So all the victims made a speedy and re- a speedy recovery. Surprise, surprise. Investigators explained the incident as combination of odors from a nearby industrial uh, plant, and then mass hysteria as uh, it came, you know, as thinking it was a psychosomatic. Uh, psychosomatic, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, 
Or, the Joker was there. The with Batman, because the Joker uses gas all the time and he makes people laugh. So these two are connected. The laughing yeah. for two weeks and the gassing. Yeah. Okay, number seven. Mewing, mewing nuns. Mewing nuns. Mewing nuns. Mewing. Nuns in, in religious orders across France and Germany went barking mad during the fifth, go back to the 15th century. During medieval times, many women entered convents against their, against their will, being forced into a life of celibacy and poverty by their parents. And uh, because of the lifestyle there, in 1491, a nun in a large, fr again in France, is it running a pattern here? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Anyway, I, um, a nun in a French convent began mewing like a cat. And the sister nuns soon followed her into strange behavior until the convent was overrun with cat imitation plague. <laughs> and the villagers were disturbed by the daily mewing to the extent that a platoon of soldiers had to, had to come in. And what? They were stationed outside the convent. Yeah, and the nuns were told they'd be beaten with rods if they continued to meow. Can you imagine walking by the convent and meow coming from, and then the soldiers outside making oh it even God. worse by telling they were going to be beaten? <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> th yeah, so then nunneries across the region had similar epidemics of nuns imitating cats, dogs, birds, biting, and all kinds. So they all the, the Catholic Church said it was demon possession. Oh, of course the Catholic Church was something like okay. that. No, of course. I know. Cats. Number six, strawberries with sugar virus. In 2006, going up to 2006, Portuguese, 300 Portuguese children were hit with an unexplained illness. And the kids explained of dizziness, breathing difficulties, rashes, and it only affected school children. And it was only in uh, schools around uh, this little town in, in Portugal. So a teen soap opera that was called Strawberries with Sugar was identified as the problem. An episode had aired a few days before the outbreak in which a strange virus was striking children at the show's school and then the kids who were watching it... Oh, wow. Yeah. So, number five... I know that teen... Talk about so far, So far, it's telling me that people are... Humans are sheep. My God, we're just following I, along. I know. This, I mean, oh, this is... This, it's amazing, but it does show you that the herd mentality yeah. takes over. So number five, the mice and trembling disease. Oh, and this is in Germany. Several schools were hit in two, in 1905. The interesting thing is we're going back and forth between the 1500s yes. and 2000s, and there's no difference really in the in the type of behavior. Although the technology has improved greatly, the human being is still as primitive as he, he or she ever was. Yeah, this is a student in mice in Germany began trembling and twitching, as and. By May the in October, and by May the following year, over 200 students. And so, this is a pattern too. Seems like there's a lot of students. Yes. Young kids. Um, 200 students were affected with the strange twitching epidemic, and it was only when the students were given writing tasks and weren't present when performing other lessons hmm. so that's one number four as a side note uh, when you use the word muscle it actually comes from musculus which is actually about mice because they say when you're flexing your muscle it feels like it's a mouse moving under your Ooh. skin huh. 
Side note, now you know. Yeah, they treated some of these kids with electric shocks. And it's, I, I would, my trembling would stop if I was given the choice of an electric shock. Well, they should have brought those nuns from the convent. Yeah. You know, they could just meow after the mice and that would stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd find a great solution. <laughs> Number four is called the Hollandwell Incident. And this is a swooning a swooning epidemic. epidemic. A, a, again, a group of school children in England were moving out of France. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-six, really only five hundred school children had traveled from all around to compete in a marching band um, uh, competition, and they were all gathered and ready to perform when suddenly they began to collapse. Three hundred children and adults dropped at the uh, the showground, mass panic, emergency crews, the whole deal, the crisis was growing. And then later, all the victims complained of having experienced a sore throat and a burning sensation in the eyes. They really couldn't find anything. Um, they looked to see if there was any crop dusting or something, but they couldn't, couldn't find anything. But they thought that the cause um, uh, ultimately was the heat of the day and pre-performance jitters. Mm. But, you know, for two, three hundred people to be affected, that, that's yeah. a lot. So, number, getting toward the end here. Yeah, we're getting close. Number three, Blackburn faintings. Again, school children in the English town of Blackburn were hit with a fainting epidemic, and that lasted several days in 1965. And it was outside uh, the Blackburn Cathedral when Princess Margaret was to arrive and open because of restorations and uh, it was sunny and 140 children fainted. So, but but the following day, another 98 people were hit with the mysterious fainting epidemic. So at the end of the week, 300 children had been affected. Hmm. So they closed the school, they inspected everything, couldn't find anything except perhaps Princess Margaret. So this is an interesting one. This is number two. I love this name. The Wurzburg Screaming Epidemic. Oh, boy. There, there may be a title of a movie there. So yeah. Okay. This is in a nunnery. Nunnery and school children seem to be, you know, avoid... I'm, nun- I'm seeing a pattern here. That, that's right. Avoid you know, meowing <laughs> and being at school. you got a Hollywood hidden there somewhere. Yeah. This is in 1979 in Wurzburg. Germany, as with the sort of like the meowing of the nuns a few centuries earlier, it was probably brought on by boredom and frustration about being in a religious life. Anyway, um, the uh, um, the sub prior the, the the head sister uh, initially denied entry into the convent for a young woman who was prone to convulsions, and the decision was overturned, and so. She was accepted, and then the other nuns began to imitate her, and so they they blamed it all on demonic possession. <laughs> so I love how the Catholic science of everything is demonic possession. Yeah, so victims experience. <laughs> She's got convulsion. Demonic possession. She's meowing. Demonic possession. Yeah, she, exactly. She tripped. Demonic possession. <laughs> yeah. yeah, screaming, writhing, foaming at the mouth, entering a trance-like state. But I, I don't know if they're trying to look. Um, so, so the the poor nun with the convulsions was coerced into confessing to witchcraft. Oh, and nice. wait a minute, this is it gets worse. She was beheaded. What? For, she was beheaded for 
crimes against the church, ending the screaming sessions from the other nuns. Well, yeah. I would imagine that'd be like, you know... The, 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 the last scream the, before the axe fell yeah. down. That was it. Yeah. I know, but can you... I mean, it was in the 1700s, but they did. They just... Yeah, well. That's it. Extreme. It's always been. It's always been the church's thing. It's, oh, it's a demon! Let's kill him. It's okay. always been their solution to everything. Okay. Last. Are you up for the last? Sure. I mean, this is. I, do you do you feel like participate? Are you you're okay so, so this, far? This, nothing. This one is going to be uh, in France. It's going to be a nun child, nun and a child in the school. Okay, and you're not feeling like you need to twitch or faint or meow. Not yet. We're, we're not yet. Okay, here we go. As, as long as you're okay. I know. <laughs> this is called the face scratcher hysteria. Ooh. Okay, now in, in really poorly educated communities, you know, sometimes the, the villagers turn to folklore and mythology to explain the unknown. So this is in 2002. Get out of here. No, this is, so there was a belief that aliens were scratching the faces of victims at night and that's what sparked this panic in a, um, in a very small town. Have you heard of the country... In Pradesh? Pradesh? Yeah, Uttar Pradesh. That, that means familiar, but uh, I, where is it? I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, this is, a, this is like 2002, and the residents reported a brightly lit object that flew sideways and was attacking victims, leaving scratch marks on their face. So the reports ranged from football-sized objects to a UFO the size of a large tortoise that flew at victims, leaving scratches and burn marks. So this was an initial isolated incident, and then rumors of the alien attacker spread all over the place, widespread panic, nighttime vigilante groups were set up to scare away the face scratcher, and residents demanded that police capture the extraterrestrial assailants. The only confirmed, the only confirmed, just like only makes a difference in this sense, were from police firing into large crowds to disperse protesters who had gathered to demand action. So wow. explanation for the phenomena ranged from insect plague, lightning balls, uh, that, you know, um, attacked victims as they slept outside. And it disappeared once monsoon system um, hmm. hit. Well, if, you, if you're wondering, Uttar Pradesh, it is part of India. Oh, it's okay. just on the border of Nepal. It's the northern part of India. It's, okay. uh, it's uh, I guess, would be east of Pakistan, just on the border of uh, okay. Nepal. Okay. And, you know, and if you go keep going east, you have Bangladesh. So that's where it is. Yeah. But so. 2002. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, the Hindu gods, you know, they're active as yeah. usual. <laughs> have you ever have you ever taken part and not in a mass hysteria, I know neither one of us, but have you ever gotten caught up in one of those laughing things where you just were with a group of people? Yes. And for like a half hour you couldn't stop? Yes. I, I, you know, you yeah, me too. You, you got a joke and you know, the joke is is funny but it's not as funny as the person laughing about it. Yeah. And, and you know, and Sometimes even even some shows that I listen to, there are some laughs that are just absolutely intoxicating. Uh, the, the joke could not even be good, but that person is laughing, and it's making you laugh and giggle as well, yeah. even though you, the joke might not be that funny. Yeah. So it is it is totally uh, uh, contagious. Have you ever started to laugh and then you couldn't stop and you were the only one in the room and you just I'm trying to think whether ah, whether it's know. isolated whether you can do it as an isolated. <laughs> 
excuse me, isolated incidents, or you, I think you need that contagion effect. Well, maybe, maybe. There, there are apparently some therapy groups that they use laughter as therapy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But that's not one of those, you can't stop. I no, mean, you yeah. literally, you know, it's it's out of control. There have been some instances in my life, though, where you're laughing so hard, and you're like with a group of friends, and you're laughing at the joke so hard, and you're laughing for five minutes, and you just really have a hard time stopping to the point that, you know, you almost sit down on the couch and say, okay, I need a minute to recover from all this laughter. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that has certainly happened in my yeah. life a lot. But I, I think some political rallies and things like that, you know, where people get swept up by an emotion. Yes. And they really, you know, they're also, you know, when when there are anything, where there's a group of people, you get caught up yes. in that herd mentality. These are just extreme examples. Yeah, we'll just have to point out yeah. the Trump rally for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's putting on that hat. I think that's what does it. Thank you, my dear. Well, Kirsten's not here, so I guess I'll have to do the Another Brilliant Moment. Ooh. Brought to you by religion. Now, um, there's a show uh, called Good Omens. Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't yeah, seen it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a show, you know, basically they got like the, uh, the, the angel and the devil on okay. one side and the other, right? And they're trying to stop the, uh, the, uh, the Armageddon, if you wish. Well, 20,000 Christians demanded Netflix cancel Good Omens. You know, uh, they signed a petition demanding that Netflix cancel the program Good Omens, a television series adapted from Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's 1990 fantasy novel. The only problem is Good Omens is on Amazon. Mm. Not Netflix. Netflix has nothing to do with this. Oh. So. <laughs> That's a trouble with having too many apps. You yeah. don't know which one to, which so, one to blame. Uh, adding insult to injury, the series is already completed. And uh, it was a limited series based on the book. And uh, there was no series, to, uh, there's no series to cancel. It's already done. It's made and done. So, <laughs> the six-part series was released last month, starring David Tennant as the Demon Crowley and Michael Sheen as the Angel Azzy Raphael, Azzy Raphael, yeah. I guess it would be, who collaborate to prevent the coming of the Antichrist and the Nemean Apocalypse, which is pretty much what I said. The petition is sponsored by a Christian group called Return to Order... <laughs> Maybe oh. <laughs> just tried to return to research. Tell Netflix to cancel the blasphemous Good Omen series. Claim that the series is a mockery of God's order and religion, and expresses anger that an angel and demon are good friends. Of course, that can't possibly happen, oh, no, right? No. <laughs> and God is voiced by a woman. Oh, on top of that, I haven't watched the series, but I almost want to. <laughs> <laughs> In addition, the petition complains that the Antichrist is portrayed as a normal kid that has special powers. The petition complains about the attempt to make Satanism appear normal, light, and acceptable, and concludes with a demand to stop promoting evil. Yeah, they don't want that <laughs> fantasy to interfere with their fantasy. Of course, of course. Yeah, that's, you can't do that. And you know what? We're going to be talking to a Satanist real soon here. Oh, after, yeah. After the pause. And you know what? When you talk to her and you talk to a Satanist, they're way more normal than a lot of the Christians we ever been with. <laughs> what a shocker! Yes, uh, of course. You know, it's, it's, I, I just love how the, the the Christians like to promote themselves as being so victims of everything. Right? That's, well, they're, they're oppressed, if, don't you know? If there's an opportunity for some of these extreme Christians to come out and show how wacko they are, they'll take it. They'll do it. They'll yes, do it. They will. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, so now I kind of want to watch that show now. It's on Amazon, so I, I guess I'll have to order that in. But, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a good idea. It's a good concept. And, and we had these same kind of situations years ago. Uh, it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck did a, a movie called Dogma. And it was kind of like the same kind of thing, you know, a couple of angels fall to earth and, you know, instead of having a flaming sword, says, well, I can't use this. So he uses like a Magnum 44 as uh. a gun instead. And God was portrayed by a woman and Christians had a horrible time with this, right? Because, you know, it's a bit like when they released that movie Noah as well, right? Oh, what yeah. do you, it's not biblical enough. I know they, they take it as though the movie was made specifically to uh, target them. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's entertainment for most of the world. No, it's another way that they're discriminating against their beliefs. They're taking it so personally. It's a fantasy series that takes yeah. characters and they just modify them to make it, you know, it's, they're way too literal literal with their, their, their imaginary bullshit. That's okay. I, keep they, <laughs> I hope they continue because it keeps our little episodes <laughs> going right. from we, we never, ever, ever <laughs> Ever, ever, ever will run out. out no, no. Brilliant moments. We, we could we could do an entire show with just another brilliant moment. Oh, we, we just could. Just about every week we could. Now that would start hysterical <laughs> laughter and meowing. <laughs> no. Yeah, how far could we get, do you think? Ten minutes and I'm gone. Oh, the That's hysterical it. laughter is started by Left of the Valley podcast. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be barking in ten minutes. That's it. <laughs> All right. That was good, actually. Uh, So let's take a quick pause. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Lilith Starr with her new book. So stay with us. Hi, I'm God. And I just want to make sure to tell you not to listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's Unapologetics with an X at the end. But, uh, yeah, definitely do not listen to the show. I mean, I swear to me, right, I will murder my son. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of already did that, but uh, don't, just don't listen to the show, okay? Hey, Lucy. Can you, not, can you not call me that, okay? We already went over what my name is, okay? It's Lucifer. All right, look, Lucy. Uh, you want to come with me? I'm going to go fuck with this guy, Joe. No, don't, don't do that, okay? Can you just leave him alone? Yeah, I'm gonna kill his family. No, don't, don't do that. I'm gonna give him sores all over his body. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's disgusting. And, uh, I'm gonna kill all of his livestock. You just, know. Oh, stop, stop saying things. Just stop. Yeah, I'm gonna blame the whole thing on you. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go, bud. Remember, don't listen to unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Hey, definitely listen to that show. It's awesome. It's really cool. He's really a dick. I heard that. Attention fellow atheist podcast listeners. We are the Godless Heathens Podcast. Here's the details with no fine print. We got new episodes available every other Sunday. Sunday! 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 There's three of us. Just like the Holy Trinity. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. Coming to you from a spare bedroom in exurban Atlanta. Where we'll examine the crossroads of politics and religion, but from the secular perspective. Sometimes we get heavy, sometimes we get deep. And no one is above reproach or mockery, especially each other. It's more of what you want and less of what you don't. So open your hearts and minds to the godless heathens in your podcast rotation. And you just might learn something too. 
just, just think about the Muslims at this moment who are blowing themselves up, okay, convinced that they are agents of God's will. There is absolutely nothing that Dr. Craig can, can say against their behavior in moral terms, apart from his own faith-based claim that they're praying to the wrong God. If they had the right God, what they were doing would be good on divine command theory. Now, I'm obviously not saying that all the Dr. Craig or all religious people are psychopaths and psychotics, but this to me is the, is the true horror of religion. It allows perfectly decent and sane people to believe by the billions what only lunatics could believe on their own. If you wake up tomorrow morning thinking that saying a few Latin words over your pancakes is going to turn them into the body of Elvis Presley, you have lost your mind. But if you think more or less the same thing about a cracker and the body of Jesus, you're just a Catholic. Well, a return guest is certainly has been one of her favorites in the past. Uh, she is a published author. She was leading the group of Satanists, and she's a snappy dresser in a snazzy dancer. Lilith Star, thank you so much for coming back at Left of the Valley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back on. Now, i got to ask you right off the bat, how come you stopped sacrificing goats, man? <laughs> <laughs> Did you want this poor woman to hang up before she even had a chance? to introduce herself? Oh, my goodness. Lilith, for those of us that... Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show, uh, but maybe you'd be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Lilith Starr is. Yes, um, certainly. Uh, my name is Lilith Starr. I'm a Satanist. Um, I started the Seattle chapter of the Satanic Temple uh, way back in 2014, and I've been leading it since then. And I recently stepped down to um, devote more time to the book I'm working on. So, so. When, when when you step down from it, because I was I was under the impression it was a bit like Highlander. You guys had to kill the head leader <laughs> to ascend to that position, but apparently it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. They can yeah, only no, be one. I, was, I was lucky I had um, a really great woman, Siri, ready to take over. So I, I felt like I could leave with a clear conscience. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was more like Star Wars. It was a Sith thing. There's only two, a master and an apprentice. So, so even though you're, you're going on to things that, you know, give you more expression and, and give you an, another outlet, a creative outlet in, in a lot of ways, what are you going to miss about stepping down? Oh my gosh, so much. Like basically for me, that job was my life. And in some ways I felt like the chapter because I always kind of had to be cognizant of what was going on externally and then internally. The biggest thing I'm really going to miss is just working with other people because I do love working in a team. So I'm going to miss that the most for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you accomplished an awful lot. You gave everybody a, a great foundation for the group and you gave them some pretty big shoes to to step into yeah but you're still a member of the group right oh absolutely yeah Yeah, that's my family now yeah Yeah. you you get a free ouija board when you join the group (laughs) (laughs) well maybe for 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 audience i might not know not be aware of the uh, the 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 satanist group maybe you'll give like a a quick introduction a quick description of who they are because god knows you guys are at the mercy of so many rumors, and I'm not helping here with me trying to be funny here with the goat sacrificing and all that stuff. People might say, what the, what? what's going on here? 
Satan. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Satanic Temple is uh, a religion. It's a religious group. We actually just got um, granted religion status, tax exempt religion status. That's by, true. Yeah, by the IRS. And so that's kind of the uh, you know highest honor in terms of religion that uh, the American government can award you. So now you so, don't have to divulge whenever Satan comes in and just fills in your coffers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so it's a non-theistic organization. Um, basically, we see Satan uh, as a symbol, so uh, there's no worshiping of Satan or belief in Satan or God. But we use Satan as our symbol for rebelling against tyranny. And a big part of the Satanic Temple is we put a lot of work into defending church-state separation across the world, but especially in America. So we're well known for a lot of activism that we've done there, um, you know, trying to put a giant eight-foot statue of, oh, yes. you know, <laughs> the Baphomet. <laughs> yeah, the, the Baphomet, you know, goat-headed deity on the same state lawn as Ten Commandments. That's kind of what we're really well known for. But, uh, yeah, it's a very young organization. It was founded just in 2013. So it's still very young and still growing, and um, it's a very exciting time to be part of the organization. It is, because considering what you've accomplished and the strategies that you've used, you know, to enforce separation of church and state and to go after, you know, people who mm -hmm. want to be the privileged religion, you know, in the U.S., it's, it's remarkable the, the amount of, of uh, the, the results that, that you've gotten, you know, by continually pushing and prodding and using Christianity against itself in yeah, a lot yeah. of ways. Well, so it's, it's an admirable. You know, it, what, it's beyond that, that because I've, I've always lamented on this very show that there's a lot of atheists out there, but I call them apatheists. And I was like, they, yeah, they, they, they'll say something like, yeah, we're right. We have the, 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 the math on our side. We have the science on our side. We have the laws on our side. But I always say, you know, that doesn't stop the Christians from trying. Uh -huh. right? they always, they're always on the offensive. And then, of course, the counter to that is a group like Lilith and, and, and the Satanists and all that. Because they go in and they actually do the groundwork with fantastic results. Exactly. And every time I see an article, it's like, I'm just kidding. I just love these guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a huge advantage over many secular groups in that we are actually a religion. Yes. So, you know, most atheist groups are very much not a religion, um, and, you know, that gives you a certain amount of power. But actually being a religion just like Christianity means we have the exact same rights. And so that's where we can really make a difference is just by claiming those same rights. Like, oh, you want to put Christianity in public schools? Okay, well, now you're going to have to put Satanism yeah, in there. Yeah, exactly. And, and so many Satanist groups have done so much fantastic work. I just love that video. I think it was in Florida. They were doing an invocation at the beginning of a city council or something like that. And this, and in come this guy with his black robe, hooded black robe. <laughs> <laughs> and he raises his hands and he's about to advocate something and all the Christians start standing up over their Bible they're reading reading passages of the Bible some kind of counter spell to whatever he was going to say it was absolutely brilliant to see the fear of these people thinking they're just just like 
primitive 19, no, 19, 1630, you know, we're just going to open our Bible and we're just going to say the, the power of Christ compels you and the, you, the hoping this guy's going to melt away or something. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's brilliant. And Lilith, of course, knows this. I'm just, I'm just propping, propping up the strategy is that the brilliant is that it's obvious. Yes. Instead of saying, don't do that, you know, and, and creating, you know, that, that disharmony and creating that antagonism is, well, you do it. We have the right to do yes. it, too. Live with it. <laughs> and they can't stand it. It's, right. I mean, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Uh, yeah, nobody wants Satan in the government, so that it kind of makes a lot of people consider, well, maybe we shouldn't have any religion in government. It's, yeah. it, I, I call it the ridiculous inaction, because yeah. they, they have a statue of the Ten Commandments and say, well, you know, yeah, it's perfectly normal, until you put an eight-foot statue of the goat-headed Baphomet there, yeah. and you say, this is bloody freaking ridiculous, but it's there. It's there, and it has a huge impact, and I just love it. I just love you guys. <laughs> oh, perfect. But today we are talking about your book, which you call oh, yes. The Happy Satanist. Yes, that's right. So um, what was the genesis of that? Um, so this was a book of essays that I had written for... Uh, the Satanism Facebook page um, a number of years ago, back when it was being run, sort of like a newspaper or a magazine. Um, and I wrote these essays uh, sort of right after I had converted, uh, as you might say, to Satanism. And they kind of cover the time in my life when I was finally getting rid of my addiction. So I was a drug addict for 17 years of my life, like mm. the major part of my adult life. Um, and I had been trying to get clean in 12-step programs for almost a decade. And I was not having any luck. And then when I found Satanism, it turned me around. And it eventually led me to be able to get rid of the addiction and move on and, you know, have a healthy life when I could actually get stuff done instead of being stuck in the addiction. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. So what was it that drew you to Satanism and and allowed you to to leave the, the addictions behind? Well, let's face it. Have you seen Lucifer? Have you seen Satan in a lot of shows they portray him? He's a sexy beast, man. <laughs> right? No, seriously. And they never make him like, look like a troll. He's yeah. really good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what was it about the group where you said, ah, you know, th this is this is what I, I need to really be the best me I can be. Well, funny you say that about being cute because it started with a guy. <laughs> 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 a very cute guy, and that was my husband, Eric. And I fell in love with him. He was a Satanist, and he had the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Rituals by Anton LaVey. Um, we got together, our world kind of exploded. Um, we ended up on the streets, living in hotels for a short period of time. And during that time, um, you know, there was a lot going on and I just picked up his books and I read them cover to cover. And after that, I, I sort of had this epiphany, like, oh, wait a minute, you know, there might not be something wrong with me there might be something also wrong with society that mm. is causing me all these problems and depression and addiction so just reading the philosophy kind of you know 
turned my mind over into it. And from then on, I was a pretty avid Satanist. But before being a Satanist and before you met your husband and, uh, and all that, were you part of a, a Christian denomination, a denomination or were you always an atheist or? No, um, I've had, uh, so the only time I tried to be Christian was when I was really young, like 10 or 11. Um, I guess I was always sort of seeking for something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I thought maybe it would be Christianity because it seemed like it would be for so many other people, uh, but I gave that a try and definitely did not like it, um, especially considering, you know, how women were treated. That was a huge red flag. Well, so, it doesn't, okay, so you, you pick up the book and you all of a sudden you, the, these, uh, your, your, your boyfriend at the time, you know, it, it all becomes very attractive, but you have already had a taste of Christianity in, in your mouth, if you can, if I can say yes. that. So yes. th- wasn't there like a bit of a fear? Because they're really quick to install that fear of Lucifer and Satan and demons and all that stuff. So th- <laughs> did that come to the back of your mind saying, oh, my God, I'm going down the dark path? <laughs> no, not, not really at all, because most of my life I've been like pagan, Wiccan, kind of interested in the occult. Ah, okay. um, I think the biggest difference was that I was not raised Christian. If I had been raised with that being ground into my head, I'm sure I would have had that you know, kind of fear. But also I think maybe that can cause a little bit of excitement in people as well, Mm -hmm. right? Like, ooh, you're going to the dark side. (laughs) I I think it does have, you know, a little bit of that seductive edge for people that might have that, you know, in the back of their minds as well. Yeah, come to the dark side. We have cookies. (laughs) We do. We always see that in our, uh, you know, we have info meetings and we say cookies and soda provided. (laughs) That. So then, then you start to write the little book. Where you, as you said, it's a compilation of all these uh, these little notes and little stories you made for that that page of the uh, uh, the Satanist page, and you decide to put that in the compilation. Uh, and uh, when did you release the book? Um, let's see. It was released um, the latter half of twenty fourteen. It was oh. released right around the same time that I was starting the satanic temple chapter here in seattle so they were both kind of at the same time we're way uh, late then i'm way late here way late in this interview <laughs> well in the, in the four in the four years that four or five years that he had since the release of the book how 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 has it been received um i've been really impressed with how much people like it um i'm i'm extremely honored um it's seen a pretty big uptick in sales recently because there was a book, uh, sorry, a movie about the Satanic Temple, Mm -hmm. Hail Satan, that just got released. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But I've been... I've been really grateful for how much it seems to touch other people's lives. That yeah, gives me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, it's got a, it's got great reviews on Amazon, which is a high honor. That's mm-hmm. good, a good thing. Yeah, thanks. Was there any pushback by Christian communities, or, uh, not just for your book, but even you yourself as a Satanist when you go out and eventually people get to know you and you if they realize you're satanist as, as you, you see in the i don't know sometimes i look at america i'm saying you guys are like one step away from being the hand means tail so <laughs> one step away i don't know it's like half a step I think. yeah yeah you guys are pretty damn close to becoming a theocracy at this point yeah so to, to be a to be a satanist among, amongst all that and one that was in charge of a chapter uh and was written a book i mean what kind of experiences have you had lately so I definitely became a little bit of a public figure here in Seattle because I was in, uh, you know, the media is very interested when the Satanic Temple does anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been featured on the front page of the Seattle Times and, you know, 
various articles and stuff. So people around her have recognized me. Like I'll go out for a walk around the block or I'll go to the food bank. And I've had a bunch of people, usually older people come up and they, they actually thank me. They actually are excited about what I'm doing, even though, you know, they're definitely not Satanists. Maybe they've never heard of Satanism before this, but they seem to be really supportive. So for the most part, my personal interactions with people um, have, have been really positive. Really? Yeah. Well, remember, we're in Seattle as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah. No push fortune towards you know, here. Like if I was in Alabama, you know, those those chapters really have their work cut out for yeah. them. How how many are in your, how many are in your group and how well let me ask you this uh, this how way chapters? how many were there when you started and how many are are active in the group now? Sure. Uh, so when we started, we had five people. Um, I was the chapter head. I was I was kind of driving the whole thing. Uh, none of those people made it past the first like eight to nine months. Um, other than me. Oh, so oh, I was kind of left alone at the beginning. But now, uh, gosh, I think on our rolls, we might have might have 130 people. Mm-hmm. But uh, meetings are usually about 30 people, 30 to 35 people show up. Um, and there's a lot of enthusiasm, especially right now, because we're heading into our pride season. So, um, you know, people are really excited about having a presence of pride and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, we, we have a pretty good group now. It's pretty active. Which is great. And I'm sure as you probably, you know, are well aware of there are a lot more in the Seattle area who uh, would join, but they're just scared. Yes. So oh, yeah. you have a lot of people who at this point will support you and and know who you are when they see you. But they're, you know, just a little bit you know, hesitant to come out in, in public and say, we're, we are, we not only support you, but we're coming to be part of the group as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Right. That is a huge step. Um, yeah, and, it is. Yeah. And actually a lot of the satanic temple success is not just, you know, our actual members, but we have a lot of allies. So the people that you're talking about, a lot of people in secular groups, you know, people who don't necessarily want to identify as a Satanist, but they do support what we're doing. And so they share information about us. Um, you know, they donate to our campaigns. Uh, so the Satanic Temple success, a, a lot of it is that sort of cloud of allies that we have supporting us. So I appreciate those people a lot, even if they can't actually you know, come and become a member of the Satanic Temple. Yeah, yeah. Because, because you know, it's well known that the Satanists also kidnap babies, and drain, <laughs> right? all, drain oh all their God. blood, right? And yeah. then they give the atheists, the, the, the babies to the atheists to eat. It's, it's well known fact. Has, has, the, <laughs> did, has the docu, Penny Lane's documentary, which I think is called Hail Satan mm-hmm. with a question mark, has that made a, a difference in uh, the, your, your support or people who have, um, you know, come to maybe observe? Uh, the, the group, but, but not formally joined at all? Um, we've definitely seen an uptick in interest. Um, the biggest impact has been in actual membership applications. Um, we are actually getting a lot more now than before the documentary was released. So we're seeing that, uh, but I am also seeing messages from people who just want to support us in general and don't necessarily want to become a Satanist. Yes. So yeah, that documentary you know, really shed a light on what we're about for a lot of people who, who might not have known. Um, so we're seeing a lot more interest and a lot more support. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is actually when you look at the Satanism, and you look at the tenets of Satanism, they're actually more moral than anything Christianity's ever came up with. <laughs> now, it would be it would be interesting if we decided to start a group up here because I don't know how much you are aware of Abbotsford, but we're sort of like the Bible Belt of uh, Western Canada, maybe Canada in general. Yeah, exactly. And if we oh, if we were to start one. Even showing, well, here are the tenets, here are our beliefs, and here's what our activism is all about. We'd still, you know, there'd still be a fair number of people that would want to burn us at the stake. Oh and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's you know, it's a little bit dangerous to be a Satanist, especially if you're someplace like where you are. You know, it does come with a lot of baggage. A lot of people won't understand. Some people just hear that word Satan, and even if they're not super religious, they just have, you know, something embedded in the back of their mind from our culture that that has to be evil no matter what. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get that all the time, you know, if, especially as an atheist, you get that all the time. If you don't believe in God, then you automatically uh, believe in, in Satan. It's like, no, <laughs> not at all, you know? Right. Yeah. And for people that, that were wondering, I have actually here the seven uh, satanic temples, the seven uh, fundamental tenets. And let's compare this just for fun with the Ten Commandments. Okay. Um, uh, uh, tenet number one one should, stri- one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Boom. I think you just knocked out the Ten Commandments right there. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah, there's not much about compassion in the Ten Commandments. No, there really well, isn't, or in the Bible altogether. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. well I, Lilith, I think you've mentioned several times on some of the podcasts that you've been on and, and some of the things that have been written about you that you find more kindness in this group than you have in, in a lot of others. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's our number one tenet is compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So, the great thing about this community is everyone coming in agrees with those tenants and compassion is a priority for them. And it really shows this is a really, you know, close knit group where people, you know, there's not a lot of interpersonal drama, you know, people really come with a compassionate mindset and it makes a difference. Yes. Tenant number two, the struggle to for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> My mind is blown here. Yeah. Tenant three, one bodies is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. There you go. Abortion laws, boom. You just took exactly. that one down big time. Yeah, exactly. Tenet four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjust, uh, unjustly enroach, encroach sorry, upon the freedoms of another is to forego your own. Like my father we used to say, your rights begin where the rights of others end, or your rights end where the rights of others begin. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Tenet five, belief should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. Whoa! That is beautiful. All the, I think I just got a heart on on that one. Uh, right there. All the atheists in the world, all the scientists just went, yes, yes, finally. <laughs> Number six, people are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and solve it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. People are human. 
Number seven, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken or spoken word. Okay. <laughs> so compare these seven tenets to the uh, thou shall not have any engraved images yeah. of blah, blah. I mean, are you shit me? Well, you know, Lilith, I mean, it stands to reason that if you decided you were going to start a, a new group that had to do with compassion and rights and, and equality, and you took the tenants out in public and you said, I'm starting a new group, and here's what we believe in. Would you be part of this group? And people would say, oh, yeah, this yeah. is great. And then you said, and we're going to call it the Satanic Temple. <laughs> and people would go, wait a minute, this is cognitive dissonance here. Now what do I do? Yes, exactly. Right, right. And that's one of the big you know, powers that we have is to create that cognitive dissonance. Like, wait a minute, if the Satanists are being the good guys here, then what does that make the people who say the Satanists are evil? Kind of got to think about it more. And it's funny you say that because we have literature distributions where we go downtown and we stand next to the Jehovah's Witnesses that are always there, you know, pushing their literature. And um, we hand out literature. We don't push it on people. But one of our tactics is we have a flyer that on the front are those tenants and we hand them the flyer with the tenants and they read through and exactly like you said they're like oh i i agree with all these and then they turn it over and there's that giant pentagram on the back (laughs) 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 and you can see their face like wait a minute i just agreed with satanist what's going on is uh (laughs) is it is it fair to say that you know a lot of big part of the Satanism is you guys are basically like expert trolls. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the media has definitely portrayed us. Um, that's not really how we see ourselves. I, I think that's definitely what comes out in news stories is that aspect. But in reality, we're a pretty, you know, you guys are genuine when you're trying, you're actually trying to change the world for the better. Yeah, and it's just sort of incidental that when we're trying to get the same rights as other religions, the media really gets interested in it. You know, it makes for good stories. Um, So our goal isn't really to troll. It's just to have the same rights as anybody else. Mm -hmm. But somehow that's super controversial right now, right? Of course, of course. (laughs) And you can totally tell when you read the the tenets there, you can totally tell that these are something, the the wording, you know, the, 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 the... the, what's included in there is obviously from the 21st century, right? right? Or 20th century, something close anyway. When you read something out of the Hebrew Bible, I mean, it just it just smells of Bronze Age, right? It just, you know, it, it is so primitive in their thinking. It's like, I, how can you possibly compare, you know? What, and so it's, it's amazing that people would think that, you know, somehow... These these words are not even they're not even eloquent half the time would somehow be from divine inspiration when you have right here from the satanic temple something that is demonstrably superior in any way shape or form. Yeah, Yeah, it kind of blows people's minds. Um, I've had people tell me that the tenants are more Christ-like than you know what fundamentalists. Christians are like today. We've yes. had people say that. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. They, they align much more with humanism mm-hmm. than they do with anything else. I mean, if you're a humanist and you look at these tenets, you'd think that they came right from a humanist manifesto rather than than, than from yeah. another. Maybe we could say that. Group. Maybe Satanists are very colorful humanists. 
Yeah. <laughs> they just have a sense of style. They have a sense of show. I, I love know. that. Well, no, Lilith, what do you think? Are you a more colorful humanist? Um, I would say I'm a less colorful humanist because mostly I just wear black. <laughs> but in general, um, yeah, I've, I've heard Satanism described as atheist but with style. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, in, in so many ways, we are like humanism. Um, the biggest difference is that embrace of Satan as our symbol. So, you know, yeah. most humanists aren't going to choose Satan as their symbol and their narrative for their life. So that's that's a big difference with us. Oh, and the other thing is we don't necessarily want to become mainstream. Um, you know, there's there's a sense in a lot of secular groups that you'd like to, you know, sort of spread the atheist gospel and get more people involved. Um, Satanists, you know, we understand that very few people will actually want to take on that label. Um, and we're okay with that. Like, we're okay with being the outsiders, the people that society rejected. We, we claim that and we use it to empower ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, let's get back to your book here. Oh, sure. Let's get back to your book. Uh, and uh, like you said, you, you've had some uh, really good um, reception from your book. It's been out for a little while. And especially yeah. with the events, people are, are coming at you. They're not giving you grief? You not so far. I mean, you know, every so often I will get messages that say you're going to hell um, or, you know, some other kind of rambling, crazy Christian thing. But, yeah, for the most part, it's been really positive. I, lo I love it when a Christian tells me I'm going to hell. I tell him, no, no, I've got VIP tickets to Valhalla. <laughs> I said, you know, they have a bigger party and the women are way hotter. Forget hell. Hell is, like, too hot for me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so dumbfounded by this. It's like, what do you mean VIP tickets of all of all of them doesn't exist? Yeah, neither does hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but do you think your book is uh, is out there is helping inspire others, potential Satanists or at least atheists to come out and be more active in the non-faith? Um, oh, yes, definitely. I actually get a fair number of messages from people who tell me that my book was their introduction to Satanism. Nice. And, yeah, and it sort of prompted them to get involved more. And that means so much to me. You know, if I could even touch one person's life, it means so much to me. So to hear that, it, it really warms my heart. Welcome to the Satanic Temple. Here's your goat's head. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me would love to actually be part of a, a Satanist because I would I would so play that I would play that card so much, <laughs> but I think everybody around me would try to disown me at this point, which is it wouldn't take long. No, it would take long, not much longer than no, it's already gone. <laughs> Just as an atheist, uh, so 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 is there any other? Um, you said you were in the works of making a second book at this point. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that one. Okay, so. Um... The first book I wrote mostly before I was in the Satanic Temple. Oh. At the very end, you know, I, I was in it and I added that, some of that into the book. But now I'd like to write a book that is mostly about the Satanic Temple path. As opposed to, you know, before I was working from Anton LaVey's work. Uh -huh. So um, also, so th the first book was a collection of personal essays. What I'm working on now is sort of a primer for satanic practice. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very personalized thing. You know, there's no um, Bible or set of rituals or ceremonies or anything that Satanists have to do. You know, it's all kind of left to the individual. But I do want to give out something that 
kind of explains the larger ideas of romantic Satanism, um, some of the actions that you can take, and kind of urges people to create their own personal paths. So that's what I'm working on right now. Romantic Satanism, what does that mean? Yeah, so Satanic Simple Satanism is based uh, in the Romantic period. There were some Romantic writers and revolutionaries that took, um, are you familiar with Paradise Lost? Uh, No, I've lost it somewhere. (laughs) Okay, so um, in the Romantic Revolutionary period, there were a number of poets like Shelley and Blake that really started seeing the symbol of Satan as a symbol for rebellion against tyranny. Mm -hmm. It was the revolutionary era, the enlightenment had happened. So so, um, in the Romantic period, they kind of reinterpreted Paradise Lost Mm -hmm. as... uh, you know, kind of a tale of rebellion against unjust authority. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it was the Enlightenment when people were starting to shake off the bonds of the monarchy and of the church and started, like, you know, questioning those God-given hierarchies. Yes. And so we take those Enlightenment ideals, reason, compassion, you know, individual rights, um, and that forms the basis of our philosophy now. Um, and just like these poets were revolutionaries, we see ourselves as having the same duty, as having that duty to drive forward society to be a more just society for everyone. Hmm. Interesting. So what's your working title at this point? Um, I'm sort of thinking the Satanic Handbook. Um, there's something called the Satanic Bible, which uh, you know was kind of the foundation of modern Satanism in the 1960s, um, I don't want to make something that's like a Bible, that's like you have to do this. What I'm more interested in is, you know, sort of a slim volume that just gives you some suggestions and points you to making your own path. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, instead of, of lighting just normal candles in the yeah. pentagram, light some Satan candles, you know? Yeah. Make, make it more appealing for you and the demon you summon. Yeah. What, what deadline have you uh, set for yourself for getting it published? Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm saying that if I can get it published in the next year, I'm I'm going to be doing good. It's it's really hard because I have really bad chronic pain, so I can't really sit more than a half hour a day to do the writing. Oh, good. Um, so I'm kind of working against that, but uh, I am making some pretty good progress right now. So I'm I'm hopeful that you'll see it out in the next year. Fantastic. And when it does come out, you'll have to come back and introduce it to us for sure. Ooh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Oh yeah, it's a date already. No, no pressure. I mean, this is this is uh, you know this is something that that comes from your heart, and so you need to take all all the time you need to get it to get it right. But when you do, come on back and talk talk with us. Yeah. So oh, the book I'm is called you. The Happy Satanist, and if people want to find it, where do they find it? Um, you can find it on Amazon. Just for, search for The Happy Satanist, and you'll find it. Yes. Perfect. Oh. And, no, I'm mm-hmm. going to get into that right now. I was thinking of getting into something else, but I don't want to... You've already been with us for 38 minutes now. I don't want to take too much of your time. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lilith, for being with us today. I really, really appreciate that. Oh, it's uh, been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks yes. for Thanks for taking the time to, to come and be with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, likewise, for the chance and the chance to talk with you guys. It's, it's always a lot of fun, so thank you. Excellent. But before I let you go, i got to have you say, hi, this is Lilith Star, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, this is Lilith Star, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. <laughs>
And that was Lilith Star, the Satanist. She's a lot of fun. Yes, she is. The happy Satanist. The happy Satanist. Well, she's not happy because of the ants right now. <laughs> no, no, it, it's great because, you know, she's so wide-ranging in terms of, you know, her, her personal story and then taking over the group and being part of that the group that's really making changes it's a it's a great backstory and she's a she's a fun person to interview so it's great it can't be easy even in seattle to be in the united states and openly declare yourself a satanist and it just can't be i mean sometimes you just gotta wonder if she goes somewhere down south if people are gonna chase her with pitchforks and torches and stuff like that i mean you really have to think as brave as we are in in some ways and, and we're here in Abbotsford. Would we come out as would we come out as Satanists, even though we agree with everything they're doing? Mm-hmm. Would we take on that label? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and it really depends on what you plan to do in the future. For example, if you uh, live, well, yeah, live <laughs> is one of them. But you know, uh, it depends on the city or situation you're in. Yeah. Let's say, for example, you're somebody who's got political leanings. We talk about politics on the show a lot, yeah. and all of a sudden you decide, you know, what if I ran for politics? But all of a sudden, if you're part of the Church of Satan or the, the Satanic Temple or something like that, you might as well kiss your political career goodbye. Well, I think... I think People that, are just not ready for this. Yeah, I think it has to do with risk. You know, and between the two of us, I have little risk because I'm not... I, I'm, I'm beyond working. I'm retired. My family already knows who I am. I'm not in the market, you know, to to find, you yeah. know, a whole other group of friends. The ones that I have are great. So for me, taking on the label would be extremely low risk. I'm eccentric and a little nuts anyway. Well, so yeah, people I'm... wouldn't wouldn't think that that's a big shift, whether they would shun me or whether they would, you know, tend to avoid taking me with them, you know, to church on Sunday. You know, that's well, it. But with you being employed and still being yeah, an active yeah, part yeah. of the dynamic community here, it's totally different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In other words, too, also for you, people will just be afraid that you might just kill them and snap their neck anyway because you do that so well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do have, you know, I'm, I'm pretty forceful in terms of the you know, my assassin. abilities. I love it. Yeah, I love exactly. it. <laughs> but even, even so, you know, even if I was just sort of your typical little old lady, um, I, I still would have very little. And I probably would take on the la- the label just because it would be an additional way to say these are my beliefs i'm in your face live with it do i'm th- happy do you think that if you ever actually became a satanist and it was all on the open that people because of your age that people would actually label you as a witch like literally a witch well, either that or the first stages of alzheimer's <laughs> 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 one, of the, one of the two at my age it could go either way <laughs> oh thank you so much Nancy and thank you for listening and thank you to I guess Lily Star for being with us uh, you can always find us at leftofthevalue.com you can follow us at uh, on Facebook on Twitter at LETV Podcast you can email us at leftoutvalley at outlook.com uh, you can send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor but beware of the incoming spell <laughs> Incoming spells. Oh, she, yeah. <laughs> she might forget. Yeah, she might forget about it. Uh, give us a five star review wherever you find us. It helps us and it helps others find the show. You can be like our friend Freethinker two one five and support us on Patreon slash LATV. All right, coming up next week, 
Canada Day is around the corner. That's right. So we're doing all things all Canadian next week. That's going to be fun. We should yes, and we should and have non-controversial. Our first time in our the history of our show, we'll actually have a genuine politician with us. Oh, Paul Manley, who was elected from the Greens, will spend a few minutes with us to tell us what it's like in Ottawa. Oh, so that would be very, very oh, interesting. Yeah, that's great. So that's going to be... I mean, we've interviewed some like political leanings and stuff like that, but an actual elected politician, that's our first for now us. Now we're talking about a brave guy right yes. there. Yes. And uh, in July, we'll be talking to Amy Cool and the Ginger Snaps. And we'll also be talking to uh, lawyer Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments when we talk about the whole abortion issue. Uh-huh. And then we'll have the legendary voice of Seth Andrews as well, and we'll be talking about free speech. It'll be Ooh. interesting to talk to him about the whole Quebec thing that we just talked. Oh, see yeah. how he feels about that. Yeah, that's gonna be very maybe give him a heads up, you know, so he has a chance to look into yeah, it. Yeah, might not be a bad idea to do yeah. such a thing. So, lots of good things coming on the pipe, obviously. Perfect. Oh, great. Anything else I need to add? Oh, no, it's just been great, just the two of us. Yes. Every now and then we get a, we get a chance to do that. I miss, I miss, the, I miss the, girls, the girls, but, but you know. Yeah, I miss we, the, I miss the girls, but it's fun just you. We and pulled me. another one, nonetheless. <laughs> Thank you so much, dear. Until next time. Yeah, I've had chronic pain for many years, oh. um, and it just kind of gets worse and worse. So yeah, I've got really bad back pain most of the time. Uh, I'm not sure listening to our show is going to help us. <laughs> <laughs> it might give you some worse chronic pain. Well, we're we're pain in the butt. Your back is your back is okay. The little lower. That's that's gonna start bothering you. <laughs> Left in the valley, hard on your anus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Thousands of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot free. And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush. Don't wanna affect business. He loves money too much. We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them while they planning to molest them? We teaching them to respect them. Respect them. Fuck that. The system is broke down. Working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers and they're all in God's name. And let me take a say, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. But you're not alone. Speak your mind. Time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, and not.